Bon Beanie, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Fantastic Cruising. This is my new podcast. Thank you guys for being so patient. It took me a little while to get this one together. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's still a bit of a work in progress. So this first episode, this is what I want to do. I want to tell you a little bit about my plans, my goals, my dreams, my aspirations for what this podcast is going to be, what kind of things are going to happen on it, and uh, and just tell you a little bit about me if you don't know me already. And to kick things off, let me just introduce myself. I know a lot of you already know who I am, but for those of you that don't, my name is Matt. I live in the Tampa Bay area in Florida. I've been here since about 1998, originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Shout out to the pizza in St. Louis. So I discovered cruising back in 2011, went on my first cruise, which was the Monarch of the Seas, an old Royal Caribbean ship. It was it was pretty old whenever I got on that ship. It was a really short cruise. I was skeptical, didn't know if I would enjoy cruising, and uh, the, the only way I was able to go on there is because it was a short cruise, and I thought, well, if I don't like it, it's it's only it was like a three-night cruise or something like that. It went to Nassau, Coco Cay. And then back, didn't even have a day at sea. Uh, I thought maybe I'd be bored. Maybe I wouldn't enjoy it. Obviously, I was wrong. I love cruising. And this what this podcast is really all about. It's to celebrate cruising and all the reasons why we love to cruise. Now, my main motivation for trying cruising out was actually not the cruise itself. I, I wasn't really that interested in getting on the ship, eating the food, drinking the drinks, partying the party. That really wasn't my thing. I didn't care too much about that either way. But uh, getting to those islands and getting in the water and seeing the creatures, that's my jam. Uh, I work at the Florida Aquarium in Tampa, and I'm an educator. So my passion is really for creatures. And you'll find that out if you're familiar with me. You already know that. And you're going to hear a lot about creatures that you can see while cruising. Appropriately coined cruise creatures. And, uh, And so I went on this cruise thinking, you know, Hey, I can get down to the Caribbean. I can maybe do a little snorkeling, scuba diving, check all that out. And of course, I was not disappointed. I got to see a lot of really cool marine life and birds and reptiles. But the surprise for me is how much I enjoyed the rest of the cruise, the food, the entertainment, just the fact that it was forcing me to do something that I don't normally do on vacation, and that is relax, rest, have some have some downtime. So uh, I, I loved everything about the cruise, the whole experience, being on the water. It was just amazing. It was, uh, some would say, fantastic. And so I just kind of got a little crazy with the cruising, went on a bunch more. And here we are today with the Fantastic Cruising Podcast. Now, before we go any further, I just want to give a little shout out to some of my inspiration out there. See, I, I started consuming cruise media, all these creators out there on YouTube and podcasts, and it made me go, huh, I think I could maybe do that, add something to the mix. And uh, and so I want to give a shout out to some of the influencers that encouraged me to to start creating stuff. And first of all, I would say ParaDJ, if you haven't checked them out, DNJ on YouTube, I got to meet them and a uh, great, great couple, really entertaining and then, of course, La Lita Loca, 
Tony and Jenny, who are also a big part of the Cruise Geeks and the Cruise Geek Podcast. Wonderful folks and really entertaining, really fun, very inspirational. And and those were all YouTube videos. And then, of course, there were some podcasts. Uh, Cruise Radio is kind of the, the very professional cruise podcast that's out there. But other ones are out there, too. I definitely want to give a shout out to Tommy at Always Be Booked. Most of you are probably familiar with the Always Be Booked podcast. But if you're not and you want more podcasts, check it out because it is an absolutely awesome experience. And he's also got a community over on Facebook, as do Lalita Loca and Para DJ. So check all that content out. There's so much out there. And, and I just felt like there was room for a little mo- bit more. I could kind of bring my angle of creatures to the mix. So that's what we're doing with the Fantastic Cruising Podcast. We're going to keep adding to that content so that you have plenty to listen to on your commute to work, while you're working out, while you're working in the yard, or while you're just relaxing on the Lido deck. One of my main goals in this podcast is to kind of celebrate that cruising community that has really just come alive in the last couple years. It's grown so much. There's so many creators out there, which is absolutely fantastic. Should I say fantastic there? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. So basically, yeah, the goal is to include some of those creators. And the way I'm going to do that is by not just making solo podcasts. You're going to hear some solo podcasts, maybe every other one. I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's still a little bit of a work in progress, kind of a a let's, let's do it as we go kind of thing. But ultimately... I want to have a lot of episodes where we have guest co-hosts on. And these co-hosts are going to be people that you're familiar with, creators from the cruising community. I've already spoken to a lot of my friends over on YouTube, and they're all really eager to to take a part in this. And that way we're going to get some different perspectives, different angles, and a lot of fun voices on the show. Now, speaking of the show being a work in progress, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want to make any promises I can't keep, but my goal is to eventually get to one episode a week. I don't know if it's going to be that way at the start. Uh, I've got a lot of busy projects and things coming up right now, but I'm going to try and I'm going to try and make a promise that I can get you at least two episodes a month, and then we're going to build from there. And who knows? I may I may end up with one a week. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see what happens. But that is the plan. Now, if you want to stay informed and updated on everything that's happening in the Fantastic Cruising Podcast world, there are some great ways that you can do that. The first way is to head over to Facebook and look for the Facebook group called Fantastic Cruising Community, which ironically has the initials FCC. Not planned. Anyway, head on over to that community and you can be a part of the community uh, participate in things like polls, post stuff over there, look at all the other community members posting things, and of course keep up on whatever I got going on. You can also head over to YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Fantastic Cruising, over at YouTube, where you're going to be able to find this podcast there as well. Maybe you're already there, I don't know. And uh, also other tidbits of video that may come out here and there. Now, this is a bit of a sensitive subject, and some people have some pretty uh, strong opinions about this. But look, uh, I do want to tell you I am starting a Patreon page podcasting is not free. There are monthly fees. There are equipment fees. There's there's other fees that go into it besides just my time. Um, if you want to support the show, that is a way that you can do it. Just go to Patreon, search Fantastic Cruising, or you can search patreon.com slash Fantastic Cruising. 
If you want to help support the show financially and uh, build it and help it grow, that is a way you can do that. If you don't, look, I won't think anything less of you. I'm not going to judge you or anything like that. So please only contribute if you want to, if you can afford to. If not, no big deal. So what is this show going to have in it? If you're familiar with the Cruise Geeks, the podcast that I used to do, then you know that we did Cruise News, we did a Cruise Creature, we did a Topic of the Week, we did a Cruise Tip of the Week. That was the that was the normal shtick that we did on there. I don't want to be the Cruise Geeks 2.0. I, I do love the Cruise Geeks, and I want to uh, kind of cherish it in its, as its own thing. But uh, there are going to be some things I take from that and some things that are going to be brand new. Now, of course... Of course, the crown jewel of a podcast by me is going to be The Cruise Creature. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about animals on this podcast. And not just animals, but also just nature in general, wildlife, ecology. I'll throw a little bit of conservation at you just to try and explain things that sometimes people get confused about. What is the big deal with the straws? That kind of thing. But um, but that's not going to be the only topic of the show. We are going to throw a little bit of cruise news in there, but to be honest with you, news is not my forte. If you want the latest cruise news, cruise radio is a great place to get it on the on the podcast venue. La Lita Loca is an amazing place to get cruise news if you're looking at YouTube and uh, and Always Be Booked has some news. There's a lot of sources of news out there, but if there's a big story, hey, we're going to cover it here on Fantastic Cruising. Some other things we're going to do, we're going to throw some cruise tips at you, some advice, some knowledge and experience that we've gained and some of our co-hosts have gained from their cruises. We're going to help you out with that. And then, of course, we're going to do things like port tours and ship tours and things to do in Florida before you get on the ship and how to save money and all the, all the normal stuff that you would expect on a cruise show. And as we go through, we'll probably develop some regular segments, but again, work in progress, people, we're going to kind of build this as we go. I don't want to lock myself into anything very specific yet, except for, I will guarantee you there's going to be a lot of creature talks. If you don't like creatures, this is not the podcast for you. <laughs> also underwater stuff. So uh, we'll talk, we'll talk underwater. Um, I, I'm, I was working on a series on snorkeling, snorkeling techniques. I've got a whole series on the Cruise Geeks YouTube channel on how to buy different equipment. Uh, we're going to see what we do with that. I may revisit that. I may try and expand on it. I definitely want to get more into tips and tricks, but you're going to hear some of that verbally on this podcast. You'll hear me talking about different things of that nature. And speaking of nature, I think it's time we cover some cruise creatures. And since this is called Fantastic Cruising, and since the logo is a dolphin, I thought it only appropriate that I start talking about dolphins as the first cruise creature on the Fantastic Cruising podcast. So we're going to do that today. And hey, let's just kick it off right now. A podcast and dolphins, you know, you call a group of dolphins, right? You call them a pod. What do you think? You think we should call ourselves the pod? I don't know. Anyway, uh, let, let me know. Let me know on the on the Facebook community your thoughts and opinions. But let's get back to dolphins. So there's a lot of different kinds of dolphins out there. And uh, I want to just, I just want to really focus in on one. And that's the most common one, which is not called the common dolphin, which is interesting. Because there is a common dolphin that's not as commonly seen. Anyway, uh, sometimes they are called common bottlenose dolphins. It used to be called Atlantic bottlenose dolphins. I guess you could call them either one. If you're a sciencey sort of person, you might call them Terciops truncatus. But 
let's not do that. Anyway, bottlenose dolphins, these are the dolphins that you're seeing. If you're in Florida, if you are on a cruise in the Caribbean, there is a very high probability that if you see a dolphin, it is going to be a bottlenose dolphin. Now, there are other dolphins in the Caribbean, and we'll cover those on other episodes, but the bottlenose dolphin is the one that's usually going to be found more inland, closer to the coast. Tampa Bay alone has about 500 of these animals that live there pretty much year-round. And uh, we, we know this because people study them pretty intensively. You know, we know a lot about bottlenose dolphins. Of course, they're the ones that you see in places like SeaWorld and, and other zoos and aquariums. But also because they are so accessible, people study them a lot. So you might wonder, how do you know there's 500 dolphins in Tampa Bay? You know, like... You just go out there and count them and just find them all in one day. How do you know if you're not counting the same one like 35 times? Well, there are ways to tell dolphins apart. And and some of those ways are pretty complex. Like, for example, dolphins have their own sounds that they create. And those sounds are unique to individual animals. So scientists can actually look at like sonar readings and tell individual dolphins apart by the wavelengths of sound they produce. That's not necessarily the easiest way to do it. I mean, you're on a boat watching dolphins through binoculars. You're not going to have time to go analyze the sonar and compare it to 499 other dolphins that happen to live in the area. Not to mention, you know, somebody that just came in for the day. So how do you do it? Well, you look for something else that is unique on dolphins. Now, if you are a dolphin observer, most of the time you are above the water. You're on a boat, you're on land, you're looking at the dolphins, and what part of the dolphin do you typically see? Usually you see that fin on their back, the dorsal fin, sticking up. And so just like we have fingerprints that are all unique to us, dolphins have dorsal fins that are unique to them. Subtle little differences in the curve or the back edge of that fin often has not just a smooth line, but there's some some raggedness to it. Uh, there's even a dolphin in Tampa Bay that doesn't have a dorsal fin. I don't know if it got bitten off or it just was born that way. It's it's called no fin. That's creative, right? But anyway, uh, using these dorsal fins, we have whole books of dolphin dorsal fins that, that people can reference, scientists can reference, that can help you identify different dolphins. But anyway, these are the dolphins you're going to see most common on a cruise. Now, if you're out sailing to a port and you're like a day at sea kind of thing and you see some dolphins, then you might be looking at a different species. It could still be bottlenose dolphins, but it could be one of the other species out there. And I mean, it's not impossible to see other dolphins inland, but it's just not very probable. Now, dolphins are very popular. I mean, a lot of people love dolphins. I love dolphins. It's one of the reasons why I chose them to sort of be the mascot of fantastic cruising. And I think one of the reasons why dolphins are so popular has to do with their quarterback in the 1980s, Dan Marine. No, wait, sorry, wrong dolphins. I do like those dolphins too. Anyway, uh, no, I think that one of the reasons that people really love dolphins is because they are playful and being playful is usually a sign of intelligence. And when it comes to smarts, let's face it, dolphins are one of the tops out there. If you, uh, if you read Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there's a whole premise of dolphins being the smartest creatures or second smartest creatures on the earth. And anyway, if it's, it's a good book series, but, but in reality, dolphins are pretty smart animals and they use communication through language and body language. Uh, they have uh, appear to have emotion and all these sorts of things that we normally think of and associate with 
human. So uh, very interesting creatures. Now, because of this intelligence, they have the whole sort of, I don't want to say language, it's not necessarily a language, but they have this ability to communicate through these vocalizations. And I found some vocalizations as examples, and I just want to plug those in here. So let's listen to those real quick. The first one I have is an example of dolphins making a clicking sound. All right, the next one is more of a squeak sound that is also used. So these are the types of sounds you might hear dolphins make, and they're not the only ones. They can make other sounds as well. Mother dolphins will actually make the sounds almost nonstop to their calves when they're born for, for a period of time, and it may be to sort of imprint on them so they can find their mom. Pretty cool though, right? Of course, the other reason that dolphins make those sounds is for something called echolocation. Echolocation is sort of their version of sonar. No, I said that backwards. Sonar is sort of our version of echolocation. Let's get things clear. Dolphins were doing it first. Anyway, what happens is dolphins make this sound that is projected out in front of them. Sound travels much faster in water, that travels better, uh, especially low sounds. High-pitched sounds don't travel as well. But what's going to happen is it's going to hit something, a solid surface. It's going to bounce back to them, and then they're going to be able to interpret that uh, for the distance that that object is away and even down to detail so they can make out different shapes and things like that. That means that they can essentially see with sound, and they can see where there's really no visibility in the water. So that is a pretty cool adaptation to have if you're a dolphin or really anything. And being able to see where the water visibility isn't great is important if you're a dolphin because really dolphins live in some areas where the water tends to be murky. Not all areas where they are, but a lot of them. And they can swim pretty fast. On average, they're going to swim somewhere between four and seven miles per hour. But they have been clocked at 18 miles per hour swimming next to a boat and even up to about 25 miles an hour just heading up to jump out of the water at like a sea park or something like that. So they're, they're fast animals. And if you're going to go fast in murky water, you better have another way to see. Now, swimming around all day long is going to make you tired and dolphins have to sleep. Now, that can be tricky when you are a mammal and dolphins are mammals, which means that they are air breathers. So dolphins are swimming around. They can dive underwater. Yeah, they can hold their breath, but they're not going to hold their breath and sleep. So how do they get around it? They, they could, I guess theoretically go up to shore and take naps. I've never observed a dolphin doing this because I don't think they actually do. What they really do is much crazier. They have a way of going into deep sleep and shutting down half of their brain. So we've found through studying dolphins in these deep sleep states that, that they will actually put half of their brain to sleep, but never both at the same time. That's kind of interesting. I wish I could do that. I could get a lot more done. Think of all the tasks you could do with just half a brain. So you see, dolphins aren't really that different than you and me. They like to they like to play, they like to sleep, they like to eat. They'd probably really like cruising, except for they don't need to cruise because they can just swim wherever they want to go. But eating is interesting. Dolphins, because of their intelligence, and look, play is often associated with hunting behaviors. Think about that kitten that you have at home that's very playful. What is it doing? It's learning how to hunt its food. And dolphins have some of the most interesting feeding strategies and hunting strategies of any animals that we know of. 
Now, on the whole, dolphins in general like to eat a lot of fish, but if they're ones that live closer to the coast, they're also going to eat a lot of invertebrates that are just down on the bottom scurrying around. Those are things like crabs and lobsters, shrimp. These guys really would do well on a cruise ship. Anyway, in order to catch these things, especially the fish, they've developed some really cool hunting strategies. So there's a bunch that have been studied because the thing is, it's not like all dolphins do this strategy. There's different dolphins that have different strategies and different parts of their range. And it appears to be something that they teach to offspring. So that's a pretty cool thing right there. There are even some dolphins in Australia that are known to pick up sponges when they're diving down into this rocky shore area. And the, and the thought is that they're using that as sort of like a cushion so that if they hit a spine or of a fish or rocky things that they do, it doesn't hurt as bad. That's like tool use for a dolphin. So that's pretty crazy. But let me tell you about some of these other really cool hunting strategies. Now, most of the strategies that dolphins use to catch their food has to do with basically figuring out ways to get fish to clump together and then going in and, and catching them. That increases their odds of getting them. But there's different ways that they can do that. I mean, one way is just to encircle like a big group or school of fish and then take turns charging through to feed. In Sarasota Bay, which isn't too far from where I live in Tampa Bay, they have something that they do called pinwheeling, which is a pretty interesting name. And what they're basically doing is they kind of roll over onto their sides with one of their pectoral flippers raised up high. So the pectoral flippers are the are the ones on the side, not the, the dorsals on the top, the pectorals are on the side and the caudal or tail is in the back. So they raise one of these pectoral flippers up and they swim around the fish in a circle and they splash their tail flukes, their, their caudal fins, and, uh, and force them to bunch together in a tighter and tighter group until the dolphins then take turns just kind of grabbing a meal on the go. So that's pinwheeling. Pretty cool stuff, which those tail fins too, by the way, which I'm calling flukes or people call flukes, they're, they're different. So normally most fish have tail fins that are sort of what we call laterally compressed, which means that they, they move left to right. Whereas dolphins, their tails are more flat, so they're moving up and down. So that's one of the big differences there. Dolphins have also been observed pushing groups of fish, schools of fish, up against like sandbars, and that that's called strand feeding. So they get them into the shallows, and then they're able to catch them that way and there's just so many different things that they do sometimes they'll smack them with their tail flukes and then they will get the stunned prey another thing that they'll do is called crater feeding and what they do then is they dive like with their snout into the sandy bottom and try and grab like the the fish that are like whoa what's coming at me you know and then they uh <laughs> and then they create these little craters so that's where they get that name and maybe two of my favorite hunting strategies that they have one of them that's been observed off the west coast of florida here where i live is they will they will kind of swim around and hit their tail on the ocean floor with their with their flukes and create like a ring of mud which then like freaks the fish out and then the fish jump out of the water and the dolphins like catch them in their mouth so <laughs> That's kind of an interesting strategy. The other one that I find really cool, well, mostly I just like the name because it's called Kerplunking. And this is something that's been seen in Australia and right here in Florida. And basically what they're doing is just kind of smashing into the water with their bodies or their tails and making a bunch of bubbles 
which then, of course, startles the fish and makes them easier to catch. So not as exciting maybe as some of the other ones, but just as effective. So dolphins are super smart, and they have found a lot of ways to to get food and communicate with each other. They really are amazing animals. Now, I know some of my friends and coworkers listen to this, and some of them have even worked with dolphins, and I, and I feel like I should share with you the truth about dolphins. So anybody you talk to, well, maybe not anybody, but most people I've talked to who work with dolphins and being in my field, I I know quite a few people that work with dolphins. They will tell you that dolphins are kind of jerks. (laughs) And I don't know that I agree with that completely. I think dolphins are just smart and they're just doing what they do. And they're maybe a little mischievous and maybe they just want things their way. Uh, But, uh, but they have kind of a reputation as uh, having a little bit of an attitude. So maybe that whole flipper persona that we have in our minds isn't that accurate. But I kind of, that kind of makes them a little bit more endearing to me, I think. So, so yeah, dolphins. They're, they're going to be the first cruise creature for the Fantastic Cruising Podcast. And I thought that would be an appropriate one to start with. One of my goals for this podcast is to not only bring other creators on board, so to speak, but also to bring the pod on board. Can I call you the pod now? I, I just, I don't know. I kind of like that. Anyway, um, so the way I want to do that is by you guys sending me emails. And I asked for some emails over on the Fantastic Cruising community on Facebook. I got a few for this week. I want you guys to send me emails with questions, comments, stories. I'm going to try and read as many of them as I can on the podcast, just please make sure to include whether or not I can say your name. So I know if, you know, I don't want to get anybody in trouble or anything like that. But also the email that you can send that to is fantasticcruising at gmail.com. So fantasticcruising at gmail.com. Send me your emails. Now I want to do this a little bit differently from now on. What I want to do is give you guys a question to answer. Please don't answer it on Facebook. Please send it to the Gmail so that I can read it on the show. Um, The question is going to be for this week is going to be, do you prefer eating in the MDR or the buffet and why? Now, look, you can still send me other questions, comments, stories. You're welcome to do that. I just wanted to give a little focus to it and just try and drum up some more response to get you guys involved in the show. Now, our first question comes from Stephen Ducar, who was a fairly regular contributor to the Cruise Geeks and uh, and an all-around swell guy. So Stephen is wanting to know this. Will the move to mega ships cause the cruise lines to move away from the smaller ships? Or will there always be a slot for uh, 70,000-plus-ton ships? I happen to like the Carnival Spirit class ships, as they are not too big, but not too small either. That is my Goldilocks-sized ship. Don't get me wrong, I like Carnival Conquest sizes, ships as well, but there is just something about the Spirit class that is comfy. Well, thank you for that question, Stephen. Now, of course, some of this is going to be just my opinion, and um, and I I don't mean I don't, all of it's technically my opinion. I don't know the plans for the cruise lines in the future. I can tell you that megaships seem to be the direction things are going. However, I don't think that's going to be the only thing they're going to make. I think that there are a lot of people, and I am in, in your camp as well, as far as not necessarily liking the mega ships. Now to be fair, I haven't been on one of the huge mega ships yet, but I can tell you just from being on other sized ships that I am kind of partial to the small to medium class ships on the different lines. I just like the intimacy. I like being closer to the water. 
the bells, the whistles, they're great, you know, roller coasters and sky rides and trampolines and all this stuff. Hey, it's cool. It's wow. But I find that when I'm on these cruise ships, I maybe do one of those things once, if that, and then the rest of the time I'm doing the same thing I do on any cruise ship, which is just relaxing and watching the water and enjoying myself. And I can do that on anything. So I don't think that we've seen the end of the somewhat smaller class ships. I think that there's going to be a focus on these bigger ships, but you know, I think that maybe what we'll see is some newer ships coming out. Maybe they'll have other perks and advantages. I, what I'm hoping is maybe we'll get some technology boost. Uh, I would like to see more environmentally friendly ships coming out on a smaller scale. And also the advantage of some of the smaller ships than even maybe the, the common ones we see in the big cruise lines is that they can go to some of these ports that the large ships can't even get to. So uh, I would like to see Carnival and uh, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, some of these come out with some smaller ships that'll allow us to go to ports that don't really get any visitation right now. That would be an awesome, awesome thing. All right, the next email comes from someone. They didn't say whether I could use their name, so just as a precaution, I'm not going to. Make sure to include that if you do want me to say your name on the podcast. But this is the question. It's a good question. I have planned a cruise on the new Carnival Panorama with Christmas uh, for Christmas and New Year's. I'm worried about the temperature. It can get pretty cold in the Pacific, and I'm concerned that the kids won't be able to use the pool. Does the Vista class have a retractable roof like the Splendor or maybe a three-quarter roof like the Spirit class? So um, I have not been on the Panorama, but I have been on the Carnival Vista. I'm pretty familiar with the uh, Vista class ships. And I can tell you that no, they do not have the retractable roof. They do not have a three-quarter roof. They do have uh, the the walls on the side that can give you a little bit of protection from the wind, especially in that main Lido pool. But other than that, no, it's going to be the air temperature is going to really dictate the temperature that you have around that pool bit. So hopefully it'll be warm enough in that part. I, I've, I haven't been to uh, California to cruise, so I don't know uh, how cold it is going down to the Mexican Riviera at that time of year. I do know that one of the things, this won't surprise any of our West Coast people out there, but people that have not been to the West Coast are often surprised to find out the water temperature on that side is really cold. So we, um, we are used to, in the Caribbean, nice warm temperatures. I mean, I think the coldest the water gets in my part of the world, the Tampa Bay area, in the dead of winter, it might be in the 50s or something like that. And, you know, that's that's cold, okay, but that's that's about it. And normally we're more like in the, the high 60s to high 70s through most of the year. Uh, you go down to the Caribbean and you're, you're hitting those times all year round. But if you go over to California, even Southern California, that water temperature is going to be in the 50s and 60s year round. It's just the way that the currents flow and it is just a very different experience then that's why you don't get a lot of the coral reefs and stuff in California like you do in Florida and you also get different animals over there sea lions great white sharks things like that are more uh well sea lions are only over there not in Florida but there are great white sharks occasionally here but not as common as over there because they like that cold water all right in the last email for this week comes from Tony Dials. Tony, I, I'm assuming it's okay to say your name because he did mention that he put a question in the on the Facebook community. So thank you for that. Thank you to everyone who sent in the questions this week. And basically, look, Tony sent me like a syllabus 
for a, for a college class on cruising. Uh, this email is really, really long. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to give you the gist of it. I'll read the first part here. It says, so I've been an avid listener for a few months. I'll listen to the Cruise Geeks. Uh, and the, him and his wife booked their first cruise for this Halloween and immediately started researching any and everything they can about cruising. And uh, so basically what, what Tony is looking for is he hasn't found a lot of information on what to expect on your first embarkation and debarkation. And so he wants me to kind of touch on things like parking and luggage check and security and what you need to take on board. And um, there's there's a lot. So I don't want to cover all that today because um, this podcast will end up being like five hours long. But I can tell you, Tony, that we will cover these topics throughout this podcast. So you're going to hear some of this information. If there's something specific you're looking for that I don't answer today, just, uh, just chime in over on the Facebook community because I'm sure that if myself, if I don't answer it, somebody else will because I know from the people that have started joining over there. We have a lot of experienced cruisers over there that are are very friendly and love to answer questions. But I'm going to touch on a little bit of this. I'm just going to go over a brief kind of overview of the embarkation experience. So it's going to vary depending on what port that you're leaving from. Um, I have left from every port in Florida, but I have not left from any ports outside of Florida. So my experiences are broad but limited, if that makes sense. And what I found is that there are some similarities and generalizations that you can make about probably most cruise ports you're leaving from, but some of the little minutia is going to be different. Basically, you have a couple different options when you are going to go on your your embarkation. You can either park at the port itself, and those prices can vary a little bit from port to port. A lot of times it's around $17 per day, but, you know, you check check with the port you're going to be sailing out of. And you can also park at satellite places that are not owned by the, the port itself. You're often going to save a lot of money. They're going to have free shuttles to take you back and forth. They're usually pretty safe and secure spots, but do a little bit of research. Ask around about them so that you make sure you're you're going to be in a, in a good, safe location. The other option, of course, is to Uber or shuttle in if you stay, if you're going to stay somewhere, like say you're flying in someplace or even driving in someplace, you're going to spend the night at a hotel. A lot of times you can get like a park and stay package that'll give you a pretty good price and they will shuttle you over to your cruise port and then they'll pick you up and bring you back. Now, uh, luggage check. So the way that, that, most people do luggage check is when you get to the port itself, there are going to be people there to take your bags or porters, and they're usually pretty easy to find. Uh, what you want to make sure that you've printed all the appropriate tags and have them attached to your bags, make sure your name's on there, all that sort of thing. And uh, you're going to give them to a porter, they're going to put them onto a cart, and they're going to take them on the ship. Now, it is customary to tip your porter. Some people think that if you don't tip them, horrible things may happen to your luggage. I don't know that that's true, but uh, these guys are working hard, and they're working for tips. So uh, generally, there's different schools of thought on how much to tip them. Uh, some people say a, a buck a bag, a couple bucks a bag. Uh, I, I will usually do that about two, $2 per bag. Depends on the size of the bag. You know, I give them my dive bag. It's got like 15 pounds of dive weights in it. I'm going to slip them a couple extra dollars for that one. But anyway, um, you're going to do that. And then you're going to have your carry on stuff. Now, some people will just carry everything on and not check any bags. If you can do that, 
then Godspeed to you. Depending on the length of the cruise, that can be quite a challenge. It can be a fun challenge, but for me, with all of my video and camera gear and then my scuba gear, well, really snorkeling gear, it ain't going to happen, all right? So I'm just happy to check my bags, but you can just carry everything on if you want to do that. Now, when you do carry stuff on, you're going to go through a security check, which when you get up to it, you're going to be like, oh, great, this is going to be like the airport, a big pain in the butt. It's not typically that bad. They're a little bit more lax. They don't have as many restrictions, you know, like liquids and stuff like that. There are some restrictions. Be sure you know. It depends on the cruise line you're going on, uh, whether they let you take like maybe a 12 pack of canned non-alcoholic drinks or uh, things of that nature. Some do, some don't. It just varies depending on the cruise line. So, so check on that sort of thing. Obviously things like weapons are not going to be allowed on there. Uh, you can't bring big things of, of, or anything of alcohol, but some cruise lines will allow you to take like a bottle of wine, that kind of thing. You're going to go through a metal detector. Your bag's going to go through an x-ray machine. Once you get through that, you're going to go into the like port terminal itself. And then again, depending on the port you're at, depending on the cruise line that you're sailing with, this experience may be different. Uh, a lot of times you can do almost, if not everything, online. If you have a travel agent, they're going to set you up so you don't have to worry about anything. But uh, you may have to go up to a counter if you haven't established like a credit card to put on for your um, sign and sale card, that sort of thing. You're going to have to do that. Otherwise, you're just going to go and have a seat. And depending on your how many times you sail, no, this is going to be your first time sailing. So you're going to be given probably a letter or number so you know when it's time to board um, if you do Carnival, you can do Faster to the Fun, which will give you priority. To some extent, you're still going to have to wait for uh, certain levels to go before you. But um, they're, they're also maybe going to give you a time to get there, and a lot of people just ignore this. I would recommend not ignoring that. If they tell you your sign-in time is 11, your check-in time is 11, I'd show up you know, close to 11. Otherwise, you're just going to be standing around waiting and uh, if you want, you could do what a lot of people do, and they will wait until like 1230 or so, and then you can usually just stroll right on and you don't have to wait at all. You just miss those extra few hours of getting on the ship. Usually, I, I can't do that. I, I, I always know that it's like the smart thing to do, but I'm just too anxious, too eager to get on board, so I never do that. And then some places, most cruise lines, you'll get the, the key at that counter if you're doing it that way. Now, Carnival and maybe some of the other lines are switching. I think Carnival is the only one that's done this so far where you get your key in the door. There may be some other cruise lines doing that. Correct me in the community if, if there are. But uh, look for things like that to start changing with different sorts of uh, medallions and st things. That's going to kind of technology is going to kind of speed that process up. But then once you get on board, that card that you get is going to be a room key. It's going to be also how you buy anything on the ship. Um, so it's a pretty important thing to have. Uh, there's there's a lot more you have on here once you're on the ship talking about muster drills and tips for avoiding crowds. Like I said, there's a, there's a lot to cover, and I do want to cover these. There's some really great information. Um, so thank you for the syllabus and uh and stay tuned because we will definitely hit on some of these tony thank you again for the email and again if you want to be a part of the fantastic cruising podcast please send me your emails to fantastic cruising at gmail.com 
Also, since our cruising community is so young, less than 200 people in there right now, I wanted to take that opportunity to have like a little icebreaker. I don't know if it'll be out before this podcast airs, but I'm going to put a post on there. Just uh, voluntary. If you want, you can chime in answering questions like how many cruises have you been on, your favorite cruise creature, where you're from, all that sort of thing, just so everybody can get to know each other. So look for that on the fantastic cruising community over on Facebook. And speaking of that community, I want to highlight one of our members in that community. That is Anne Marie Boyce and her husband, Stephen Boyce, because they have a YouTube channel and a Facebook group called Ship Shape with Anne and Stephen, where they talk about fitness and eating healthy and staying healthy. And, uh, and they were kind enough to feature Fantastic Cruising over on their Facebook group. So go check them out for sure and watch their videos. They're a lot of fun. They're fun people. I've, I've met them once, got to, uh, got to cruise with them actually. And it was, it was a really good time. And it made me think about exercising on a cruise ship. So something that's sort of changed, I've gone through a lot of changes in life recently. Some of you know that, but, uh, one of the big changes in my life recently is that I started exercising. So I've done diets before and things like that, but, uh, I've never really, done a lot of exercising. I've actually gone to a gym multiple times, more than once, even more than once a week. And, uh, and it's kind of a different experience, you know, got to stay fit and all that. So there are gyms on the cruise ships and I've never used one. The most I've ever done on a gym is walked through it and, and looked at it. And, uh, and then I, I've walked around the track. I have walked around the track before and tried to figure out what some of the weird things were that you're supposed to use there, but I've never really utilized the equipment. Now, part of me says the next cruise I go on, I'm probably still not going to work out on the cruise because, you know, I'm on, I'm on vacation. Should I really be working out on vacation? But part of me is also like, no, I want to work out on the cruise ship just, just to do it, just to say, Hey, I did it. Now, to be fair, I usually don't gain weight on a cruise. I know a lot of people gain weight on a cruise and it's not due to lack of trying. I eat and drink like a machine when I'm on a cruise. But the other thing I do is when I'm in ports, I do a lot of walking. I do a lot of swimming. I get way more exercise than in my normal life. So it kind of balances out. But I'm thinking if I like kick it up a notch, if I up that game just a little bit and do a little bit of exercise on the cruise ship, maybe I'll actually come out with a negative deficit. Is that, is that like redundant, negative deficit, neg deficit? Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Maybe I'll lose a couple pounds. I don't know. Crazy, right? So, uh, so what do you think? What do you guys think? Comment over on the Facebook community. Do you work out on the cruise ship? Have you ever thought about working out on the cruise ship? Do you judge people that work out on the cruise ship? Uh, what are your thoughts? What are your opinions? I may give it a shot next time. We'll just have to wait and see. All right, well, that is going to wrap up the very first episode of Fantastic Cruising. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode, and I hope you look forward to what's to come in the future. If you do have any comments, concerns, please send them to me in an email, fantasticcruising at gmail.com. I would love to hear what you have to say. 
Also, a little sneak peek, next episode is going to feature our first guest co-host, and I thought it was only appropriate to kick it off with my lifelong best friend, Mark Strickland of The Traveling Duo. Go check them out on YouTube, The Traveling Duo YouTube page, also The Traveling Duo Adventurer community over on Facebook. And until next time, have a fantastic day.